Good afternoon, everybody. We're here with Behind the Shades, episode number three, bringing to you all the live action for the Western lifestyle purveyors on the earth. See, that was terrible. <laughs> I know. That's what that I was said. so bad. <laughs> you, you, you better start it out. No, no. I mean, it's what's done is done. I mean, we only do these things in one take, but I will, I will notch I'll, that in my mental. You know, uh, I did it like that memory slot but that you know why i did it like that why is that sets the bar low and now we can you know we over, can we can overachieve at this point under promise and over deliver well we made no promises i make no promises about anything <laughs> well i do I, I can promise that this next i don't know 30 to 40 minutes is going to be a, a really um useful part of your day we're, we're going to get into some fun stuff here um this is my brother weston and he is, we've talked about having him on the show. Weston is a really smart dude. Uh, he, he is. He's, he's, uh, he's, got the, he's got this unique balance of um, business acumen based on experience, yet uh, intellect. He was, true or false, you were on the varsity quiz team in high school. Uh, come on, dude. Yeah, True. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. I don't want to tell anyone about that. Well, um, for those of us that weren't there in our in our progression, uh, so um, in junior high and high school, you know, I was going to rodeos, and a lot of times we're not talking about rodeo, right? Now. I know. Listen, just let me hear me out. Let me give you some context. And a lot of time you're in the truck for a while. And back in the day, we didn't have any phones, we didn't have anything, and I love to read. So I would read, you know, maniacally, and over time, you read enough, about enough topics, you get enough information. I've always been good at retaining information, and so, um, you know, you can use that if you make an effort to retain that information and use it in your life, and you can educate yourselves and then use that education to, you know, push your life forward. And I'd like to think in some instances that was something that I've done in certain periods of my life, and that was one of those periods. Yeah. So you locked yourself in a truck with an encyclopedia? Because <laughs> Harry Potter was not around back then, right? No, Harry Potter's not around. Thank goodness. No, no, I just, you know, read, um, you know, classic American novels. You read, uh, you know, informational books. You know, I used to love to watch birds, so I'd read, you know, Autobahn Society books. You read books on, you know, trivia. You read you know, <clears throat> books on how things are built. Just, you know, I've always been someone that likes to understand how things are assembled, whether that be a argument or an idea or a building. And so, you know, I would read all that type of stuff. I still read. I, still, I told uh, told some, some kids I was teaching the other day um, that I think I wrote, read 65 books last year. And so I'm, I'm over 40 now, and I still have the desire to read that I had when I was a kid. And I think it's yeah. a... It's been a blessing to my life. I think it's a boon when you have a desire to learn because I think that's one of the only things you get to carry with you through this life. And then take on to the next, right? Potentially. If, if, if you're of that proclivity, sure. Right. So unlike you, I, I don't I don't enjoy reading, but I do it. It's, it's one of those things that... Um, that it's, it's, you look in the mirror, what, what do you want out of this life? And then you let your actions kind of set the tone for it. I, I want to be intelligent. I want to have knowledge, like you're talking about, useful knowledge. And I'm 35. You're, you're in your 40s, early 40s. The only way to get there at this point is to read, right? It's to study. and Well, it's more difficult. As you're, as you, when you're a kid and, the, and your brain is forming, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, you're able you, you're you're, you're building neural pathways in your mind. You're um, kind of building the muscle memory to retain that information. As you get older, it gets more difficult. You know, our, you know, and especially once you start putting foreign things into your body that you didn't put into your body when you were maybe a five or ten year old. As you start to put, you know, things that aren't as healthy into you, you actually lose brain cells. And so, you know, by my age, forty one, uh, someone that's partied their entire life has probably lost a large number of brain cells. So it's even that much more difficult for them. That's Another reason why I think it's important to, you know, take care of yourself from a physical aspect, which, you know, that has its own set of, of problems. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it's easier to, to, to learn when you're younger. Um, it's, you know, proven fact that it's easier to learn languages. And if you are bilingual or 
know multiple languages as a child. It's easier to learn languages as an adult. Uh, we have a <clears throat> difficult prospect of learning ages, uh, languages being English speakers because we speak in the first person uh, subject predicate, whereas many of the classical Romantic languages, Italian, French, uh, Spanish, speak in the predicate subject version. So, you know, instead of I going to the store, the store I am going to. And so, you know, when you learn one of those and you learn how that structure is and you learn how the, the verbiage goes there, you can actually learn other languages easier. And as you get older, reading can get more difficult. Learning languages can get more difficult. And what I've found for me in my life is that if I do something for an extended period of time, I find that, you know, and I don't know if the right term is I learn to love to do it, but it bothers me when I don't do it. So, for example, right. um, my son, you know, it's been, you know, he's 10. It's been, you know, seven years of me telling him every day to brush his teeth. If I left my house without brushing my teeth, I would have a mini panic attack. I would probably have to turn around and go back to my house and brush my teeth. Now, I don't love brushing my teeth. I like it, um, but I am so adverse to the way my teeth or breath would smell if I didn't do that. That is something that at this point in my life, there's no going back. There's no uh, breaking the habit of brushing my teeth. I will be brushing my teeth every morning before I go to work or go out of the house or before, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's that's not because I love it. It's because it's something that I did over and over and over and over and over again to the point where it's now part of my personality. Yeah. Well, you know what? Makes sense. I think that's that's a... That's and reading's that, so to close the loop. Yeah. Well, that's a con I think that's a common trait with the successful people. D Dad, just in our... He used to talk about habits, right? Create good habits. And, and, and but but unlike you we're, we're from the from the precipice or the impetus of of you know schooling and you you were geared that way I, I wasn't and so when I, when I talk about reading I, I'm, I'm banking more on and I think dad was a little bit this way he always had a toothbrush he always had some floss in his in the console of his car um, I'm banking more on the neuroplasticity kind of kind of rewiring my brain at this point in my life even though like you said and, and it's factual that 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 it's not as fresh it's not as um i just want to point to out learning. and i apologize we got some hot toothpaste tooth, toothbrush talk going on on this podcast yeah we do um let's let's change it up for a second I, and so, i don't brush in the morning oh you don't no i'm a i'm a i'm a nighttime Oh, but, I do. I do both but, you, you got to do it in the morning well i know i need to do better but what if i did it See, if I was as proactive taking care of my teeth at, at in the morning as I am at night, there'd be nothing to improve upon because I'm a flosser, dude. <laughs> I right, mean, so, so you're a flawed individual. You don't want to set the bar too high. Right. So you set an unrealistic <laughs> expectation for that. You know that your wife and kids are going to see. I get it. Well, and you know what the 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 the, the actual the actual uh, you know the the we're going to talk about finance today, and so that was a great segue. And you know, l last week. Two weeks ago, I told you, I made the comment to you that my house was paid off, right? And uh, I've got a lot, of, I've got not a lot of money, but I've got some savings. You know, Haley and I have some savings. And and I told you that I was trying to invest in, in some raw land and I had, I had trouble because everything was lining up. And you had said, just on that note, that you want to keep a little, it's nice to have equity in your home, but you want to have a mortgage, right? Talk a little bit uh, about yeah, that. Yeah, so I just we were talking about um, you know credit, right, and keeping your credit levels to a point where you can go borrow money if you ever needed to, and and one of the things that credit card companies like to see is that you have some credit cards you know open, you're keeping small balances on those. Uh, Thirty percent, I think, is the uh, adequate number, based on you know uh, what FICO tells you in their reports, but. Um, but you want to pay that off every month as well. And then another thing that makes people uncomfortable is if you don't have a mortgage on, on, on your credit. And so, um, you know, the idea of paying off your house is great. But from a credit standpoint, if you're trying to go borrow money, it's not as um, helpful as having a mortgage, even if you have a small balance on it, just making consistent payments. What credit companies want to see is the fact that you're being consistent with your payments. They want, you know, it's, it's like everything else. I tell people all the time, um, I can handle bad news. What I can't handle is not knowing what's going on. And so credit companies the same way. They want to see a payment coming in every month. Now, if you miss one, 
um, that's okay. But they at least want to be able to see that you have the wherewithal to make payments. And so by not having any of those things on your credit report, you're kind of keeping them in the dark. And so they have no way of knowing whether or not they should, you know, post credit to you. Yeah. Or not. So that's kind of the And if you miss one, it's the, you want it to be the exception, not the rule. And you're, and, 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 and obviously. The, yeah. But the, the, you know, but the, but they got to have that transparency. They, they have to be able to see that data. Yeah, and cor correct. And then, and then the other idea is, you know, do we live in an, in a time when interest rates, you know, are higher than or lower than what you can go out and get in the market? So, you know, in the early 1980s, we had the save, savings and loan, you know, banks that struggled. And interest rates, if you were going to go borrow money, were in the, you know, double digits. They were over 10%. You know, you would. I think today you would have a very difficult time going and putting your money to work at a consistent double-digit return. So you wouldn't have wanted to go borrow money from banks in the 1980s. But today, if you can go borrow money at 4% and you think you can go put it work at 7%, maybe there's a spread there that's a little bit different than there is, you know, you know, than there was in the 80s or other times in our history when we've had, you know, bad credit risk with the banks. So, yeah, just a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah, well, my thoughts on banks is that they are terrible, um, but they can be they can be a they can be a good ally in certain so, certain so, instances. So I always, you know, when I go to see movies that are action movies, when I go see Fast and Furious or Rambo or you know the rocky movies and then I or see, any of the yeah, any yeah. of your superhero t talk about your yeah, comic yeah, book collection. And, and, no and the avengers movies or anything like that so if i go there and then i read a review of it and it says oh you know this was so unreal you know um i can't believe that this happened i get frustrated because you know what you're walking into you know you're going to see an action movie if it delivers on, upon that then it did what it was supposed to do and i think that's how you got to view banks what 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 are banks there for? They're they're there to for you to ha house cash, to have it be um, insured by the FDIC, and then at, lend that out, and then lend that out at a fair rate to, to good investment to to people that they know are going to pay that money back. Right. And so it, you can't get mad at them. That's their function. Right. And so if you get mad at them for doing that, it's like getting mad yeah. at the sky for being blue. It's what it's there to do. It's like getting mad at the wind for blowing. It's yeah. It's what it does. No, and I I agree with that. I I. Uh, you know, I don't get mad, but I think it's important to, to know what they are and treat them as such. I, I think the days of, of having a good relationship with your banker and them coming to your kid's bar mitzvah or birthday party or anything like that, those days are over, right? Yeah, I, I got an interesting story on that, actually. Um, when, my, when our father passed away, um, I had a banker show up at the funeral uh, wearing his name tag uh, and what bank he was from. And so, uh, just to subtly, that's a passive aggressive yeah, move. Yeah, super passive aggressive. And um, I, so I let him know how inappropriate I thought it was. And then also, I went to his his boss, who was my banker at the time, and I said, "Hey, I, I never want this individual having anything to do with my account ever again." Right. And he didn't. And so I thought I thought that was like the the antithesis of what you just said is, you know, there's 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 appropriate times to you know, have that relationship and there's appropriate, and then there's times where it just needs to be a personal right. relationship. And I can tell you. And manifest itself. The banking relationships I have now, um, I, I run those relationships at, at, and I make sure that, you know, I create time to cultivate those. But at the same time, when I have other things going on, I, I make sure that those are kind of secondary. So I, you know, I think there's a time and place for everything and not to get too far into the weeds in this, but, you know, I think uh, there's, people that i think there's a lot of people in the banking industry that actually do care that actually do want to help and unfortunately like every other industry in the world there's a small subset of people that ruin it for everybody right. and i think that's kind of a you know cynical way of going through life and i choose not to do but that. but but it's yeah it's business right they they have they have quotas to meet and everything else and so, so we understand that right but but that's that's the thing is uh when i say banks are I, I, that's how I approach it. I, I have to approach it that way. When I, when I go in and I talk to a bank, it's to me, it's a competition. So, you know, it, there's no gray area. You know, it's dog eat dog. You either are winning or you're losing. And you need to go into that bank with the mentality that I'm going to win this deal. Because like you said, they have the underwriters and this and that. But so finance, um, you talked a little bit about different languages. How many languages do you speak? I speak three languages. Speaks English, Spanish, and 
uh, Filipino. Your span, your Filipino what? dialect. So uh, Filipino dialect is that Cebuano? Is that Tagalog? What, what do you? So mean? there's three islands in the South Philippines known as the Visayan Islands, um, Bisaya. Yeah. Uh, in the Philippines, they oftentimes pronounce a V as in Victor as a B as in boy, and so even though it's spelled with a V, it's pronounced Bisaya. And those islands are Cebu, Negros, and Bohol. And I lived on, for a time, on all three of those islands, and so I speak a dialect. It's a couple of the words are different on each island. It's very... Um, Bohol sim- is nice. Sim- yeah, Bohol's great. Similar structure to Tagalog, but uh, just different, um, you know, very different as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting. You know, an, a, a high-intellect individual like yourself who likes to spend his time proactively in learning useful things, which is what we're talking about here. I think you guys are going to gain a lot of good information from this. To go and learn the Philip, you know, to go learn Tagalog or Cebuano or something like that is is interesting. You wouldn't think that's the language of business. Why did you do that? I mean, well, when, I, when's the last time you were on the corner so, of Trop and Rainbow and you had to go in and speak? So, so you know, you learn Tagalog. You, you meet people, and you and there is you know patterns, right? We look. You know, as individuals, we do things on a daily basis, and sometimes it, it seems like it doesn't make any sense. But if you look back at a period of time in your life, whether that's the last week or the last month, the last year, the last 10 years, you find patterns. And there's groups of people that, that fall into patterns sometimes. And so um, a, a we have a dearth of uh, nurses in the U.S. So there's... A, group of people that are going and getting into nursing programs and then there's still more need for that for that you know employee and so you got a lot of people you have a a bunch of people that come to the u.s from nursing programs in the philippines and they're qualified uh individuals and they fill a need that we as americans have we have that need but we are not able to fill that need with employees here in the u.s and so um the 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 place that i've found that I've used that language the most in, in the U.S. is is in hospitals or in, in doctor's offices because I tend to have a propensity to run into nurses that speak that language more there than anywhere else, unless right. maybe I went to like a you know Filipino market or something like that. And then and with the Spanish, it was born out of necessity. You know, my business, I'm, I'm a contractor. I like to build things. And um, I've built all over the U.S. I've built in the oil field. I've built utilities i've built data centers and no matter where i go i often run into um, people that speak spanish Um, and they might not all be from spain they might not all be from mexico they might be from peru or they might be from venezuela or colombia or whatever but they speak spanish and so for me in my business it's a necessity for me to at least you know understand and speak spanish to a level where i can communicate now i will be the first to tell you i'm not the strongest spanish speaker in the world but for me, for my business, it's important for me to at least to have an understanding right. of it. Have that re- in your repertoire. No, I agree. Um, and, and I can relate a little bit to that. W- w- with the sunglass company, you know, we, we, get, the, we get the question all the time, uh, why China? You know, um, first of all, China is, is the only place for sunglasses besides, there's a little bit in Taiwan, um, but there's none in Vietnam. There's none in some of these developing countries like Sri Lanka, nothing like that. As a matter of fact, we have the ability just right here on this property to to make sunglasses. We're, we're more and more, we have the capacity and the ability and the, and, and, the, and the machinery to make, outside of China, probably one of the better, just, just right here at the front door. But at the same time, you know, we get the question all the time, why don't you guys make more of your styles in-house? Because we're not we're not a manufacturer, right? We're we're a brand, but it, it's like Tim Cook said. Um, Tim Cook from Apple, he's the CEO of Apple. I've never heard it said better than this when it comes to manufacturing, right? Or or bill of goods type businesses, um, consumer product. It's, he said for the iPhone, there's not enough people in the U.S. and they were in 60 minutes, and it was a little room like this. There's not enough people in the U.S that can make the iPhone end-to-end from the industrial design to the sketching to the you know, acoustics and all the components and this and that. There's not enough people in the U.S. that fit in this room that have the knowledge and the experience and the ability to do that. But in China, 
he said you could fill up four football fields with with individuals that have the have the ability to make the iPhone, and it's the same thing in sunglasses. I, I think it's an interesting topic. So uh, you know, I was I'm looking at your bookcase behind you, and one of the books that stuck out to me when I was looking at was one by a guy named Johnny Ive. And for those of you who don't know who Johnny Ive is, Johnny Ive was the person that um, that uh, Steve, uh, what's his name? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs uh, put in charge of creating the vision on what the iPhone was going to look like and what the functionality of it was going to be and what we were going to do to be able to hold it in our hand and to be able to have the, you know, the screen and the buttons. And, you know, Johnny Ive, his time is extremely valuable. And then he's got a team that help him to craft that vision, put that on paper, put in that on AutoCAD, whatever that is. And then, then they take that vision and they take it to the the different Foxcons and the different, you know, providers of their components. And so, you know, as you go down the line in that, you know, group of people, Steve Jobs valued his time at one number. Johnny Ive valued his time at one number. His guys valued their time at one number. And by the time you get to the people actually making their components, they're valuing their time, whether that's by choice or not, quite a bit lower than Steve Jobs and Tim Cook were. And so now you take that and you extrapolate that across the United States. We as Americans value our time much higher than the Chinese value their time. And uh, again, that's a wonderful thing for us as Americans. That means we're living in a free society. That means that we get to choose what we get to do with our time. That is a beautiful thing. And that's what democracy and capitalism should be all about. Um, in China, that's not necessarily the case. There is people who get to value their time because they are, you know, uh, got a narrow focus in some field, but there's a large subset of people that work in these factories that for what either they value or more more likely the time their the the time they have is valued by their superiors at a much lower number than what our workers are here in America. Right. And so because of that, it is very difficult to be con competitive at that level. So you think about it, if I had two iPhones in my hand, one that's American made and one that's made, you know, fully with Chinese components and they work exactly the same and one's three times the money, me as a consumer, what am I going to buy? Well, you know, I I could afford the bigger one, but I'm always going to go for the one that's right. less money if it's the same exact product. Money because saved. because it would be insanity to not do that. And so you extrapolate that around how you know however many you know millions of people there are in the U.S. right now. You know everyone's going to choose what they can get at an efficient price. Right. And so that is always going to be a battle as American made versus versus made in Taiwan or China or thailand or whatever it is and i'll tell you one more thing about that it's the left that want the american made one for free well it's, they're, it's, they're the ones that choose that, that want the american made stuff because I, they're, I, they're, I, I don't think that's accurate i think everyone wants american made i think everyone wants american made and so we're haggling about price right right so everyone wants an american made product i think i mean i'm sure there's people that don't but let's say the majority <laughs> want american made pro product it's, it's going to lack the features that's just all there is to it. It's going to lack some of the attributes and the features, and here's why. It goes back to the Tim Cook comment. It's because the, we don't have the ability to make, to put the extra bells and whistles um, into things. Not because for the same price. You're correct. You're right. the, the manufacturing back, back started back in the Vietnam era, started to leave this country, and, 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 and China doubled down on that. Am I right? Or, or those those developing countries, well, they, look, what else did they have to... If, if you look at the history of it, if we look at the history of manufacturing in the U.S., and just I'll give you a couple... I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but I'll give you a couple points. Um, Henry Ford, when he was building the Model T, he was the first one to move wages to, to build a minimum wage. He, built, he paid everyone in his facilities a quote-unquote minimum wage. And I, I think he called it something different. But he didn't have to. He did that because Ford at the time was a very successful monetarily company. And so he felt like it was a good move for him to, you know, set a, 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 a basic standard as to what he should pay all his employees at. Now, that was higher than what all these people were getting paid at the time. And that was in the early 1900s. If you fast forward till today, and he was a market leader in that. He was a market leader in uh, the assembly line. And then right. when we went to war in World War, I think it was World War II, World War One or World War Two, they refashioned one of his um, plants in Michigan, and they actually created 
you know, planes to use in the, in the war against, against Germany. It must have been World War II. So um, he, he's got a storied history of kind of creating, you know, best management practices for... No, um, he, he's incredible. For, for, for the, manufacturing in the U.S. But over time, China saw what we were doing. They copied it. And the difference, the main difference, is they can pay their people less than what we can pay our people. Plain and simple. And, there's, and, there's and the products that come from China, they can get for less money than a similar product that we can get here. And so if you look at things like the iPhone, if you look at things like Beck sunglasses, if you look at things like Ford trucks, Trigger they're problem. all designed in the U.S. by American. You know, Apple was designed in California. Ford was designed originally yeah. in Michigan. You know, Beck sunglasses was designed in well, Logandale, Nevada. I, 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 that, that's 100% true, and I've seen that firsthand because I travel there frequently. Um, I have a theory on that, and what my theory on that is this: the 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 Asian culture is not trained to um, design and 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 think outside the box. They're not. I, I think there's good designers there. Jay. No, definitely. Hold on. I, I think they're just behind us. Well, definitely, and, and you can make that same argument for a lot of places, Canada, Europe, and and these things. But what I'm saying is, is they are. It's a communist country. Right? It's not third world anymore, but it's communist. They're taught to follow the leader. And so in school, not only do they go to school longer than we do, uh, for, for, from, from, from the start of their education, they go from probably 7.30 to 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Um, but they're taught to follow. So I've always said, if you're going to... I, I think it's even simpler. If, if gonna, I, I lived in a third world country for a while, and so did you, I think. Um, so when, when I was in the Philippines, I think people... In the world, whether you're in the U.S. or you're in China or you're anywhere, I think there's a certain amount of what you do based on necessity. And when you talk about a, a, a country like China with that many people and their economy is doing better, but it's definitely not at the level of the U.S. Right. Um, on a, on a, a per rata basis, you know, per capita basis on an individual, there's a certain amount of things that they just don't have the ability to do. And that time, a lot of times, gets filled with work. And so you'll see a lot of people in China have a very narrow focus on what their field is. And so if they're working in a Foxconn factory and their job is to, you know, put the screen on the phone, that's what they're going to be doing an inordinate uh, amount of hours per week. And that yeah. is their focus, you know, versus here. And, and this, this is when I get frustrated a little bit um, about people that badmouth the United States. In the United States, you know, I've I've lived in places where people, you know, had freedoms, but but they're not like we have here. We can we can. I mean, I got up this morning at the time I wanted to get up. I got in my shower. I had hot water. If I wanted to make myself breakfast, I was able to make myself breakfast. Breakfast. I came down here to the ranch. This is a extremely, um, you know, nice culture that you have in, in in this in this building. We're able to sit here in front of these microphones and have this conversation. Right. And no one's standing over us telling us what to do. You know, um, we're not forced to do anything. That, that is such a gift that oh. sometimes people forget, especially, you know, uh, living in a third world country and seeing the struggles those people have to go to. I will never complain about the United States because I know what the other, I, I know what it's like to live in a place that doesn't have the freedoms that we have and doesn't have the, you know, the ability, you know, when we live in Las Vegas, we have the ability to go get anything we want at any time of the day, you know, at, you know, on the weekend, any time in the middle of the night that, it, you know, not everywhere has that. And I think that's a, that's a thing that gets overlooked. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that take those things for granted no, and it frustrates me. Yeah, there's no question. And, and there, there's no question. And I've said it, you've probably heard it. It should be a prerequisite for every American citizen to go spend at least two to three weeks in a third world country. I do think, I do think if we're truly going to fix America, it needs to start at the individual or at least the household level. Right. But that's a great place to start. Go, go spend time somewhere else and then come back and badmouth the servicemen and women or our president of the United States or just this country in general, the laws that we have, it goes back to the banks of what you're saying. You know what they are. It's like this snake, right. That you picked up that ended up biting you. Hey, you knew what I was when you picked me up, right? Amer America, America is a, a fantastic, phenomenal place. Um, I served in Mexico on my mission. You served in the Philippines. I remember in Mexico, the toilet seat didn't have a seat on it. It was just yeah, a porcelain bowl. In, in the Philippines, not only was there no, no seat on the toilet seat, the toilet seat was only about a foot tall. 
there was no running water. No running water on my, was, me too. Was, it was called kinamot, which is, it's, you had, there was a bucket and then there was a smaller bucket in there and that's and you, how you went to the restroom. And you, you went to the restroom for all those that you're listening or watching. You went to the restroom. Okay. Okay. Let don't, me, let me paint the picture. On this. No, I'm going to. I'm no, going, and then they, they need to know. They need to know. So you have your sink and it had no plumbing. So you'd take the bucket before you started to go to the restroom. You take the bucket, you turn it on, and the water wouldn't run very fast. So it would come out the bottom of the sink, and it would fill the fill the, you know. And then you'd go to the restroom when you were done. You take the bucket, and then you dump the, it in there, and the that, force that would it. yeah, the force that, would flush and, and, it. And, and 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 again, not not every household has that. That's just those were public restrooms. Whereas if we go to a public restroom here, we have running water. We have the ability to, you know, put a, a gasket on our seat to make sure, you know, we don't get anything, you know, nasty on us. I mean, we, I mean, just there's something a, there, simple. There, so, going to the restroom is so much better so, in America than it is somewhere else. So much, so much to be thankful. There's for, a man. guy. There's a guy. He's a futurist. His name's Peter Diamandis. Uh, super smart guy. Has a bunch of uh, business. I've gone and watched him talk a couple times, and um, he's got a list of, you know, his. I think 24 laws of Peter Diamandis. And number one, it always cracks me up. He says, start at the top, then go higher. And uh, which every time, and he says it kind of tongue in cheek, but, but it always kind of cracks me up. I mean, I think, I think as Americans, one of the, the things that we have that doesn't exist everywhere else is we have the mentality that we can go out and perform and become the best version of ourselves if we want to do that. Right. And that is something that's lacking in in some societies and i'm not going to name them i don't i don't want to be super controversial but there's places you can go where you don't have that opportunity um if you if you if you look at you know um certain societies in history when they were you know when when despots took over when you took it look at chairman mao or Stalin or some of these people i mean those people literally had no choice as to what they were going to do on a daily basis and and we have a choice here in the u.s right and and then and then we're able to keep we're able to eat what we kill for lack of a better term and that's that's originally what capitalism was about was you know the ability to go out and to work hard and to get rewarded for that work now you know um i think that that idea gets convoluted sometimes i think people try to change it but that is at the core identity of capitalism and then that's a true meritocracy correct should be yeah so um no, it's right. And I remember there was a there was a brass pipe. That's what that's what the shower was, and it was freezing cold, man. I mean, freezing cold. And so even though today you and I both have opinions, very strong opinions on certain things, but at the same time we try and perpetually educate ourselves on current events and in these types of things so that so that's always staying relevant, at least our views are. But the one thing I know firsthand just because I know myself, I know you, I know our family, we have a lot of gratitude. We have a lot of gratitude because no matter how bad it gets, there's still so much to be thankful for. It's, it's perception is reality in a sense, right? And so um, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how rough the day is, and we talked about stress on the show before, we're going to get into some finance stuff here, but um, there's always so much to be thankful for. It, it could always be so much worse. And it's not a picture that somebody painted for us. We've lived it, right? Well, I think that, um, I, I think that, being humbled and going through struggles and going through trials, those are the types of things that give you gratitude. Um, and I think it's very difficult to learn gratitude when you're flying super high. Um, I think it's the times where you have adversity that you really learn who you are as a person and what you need to do to overcome those things. Right. Um, I was talking with someone the other day, some young people, and I was trying to kind of make the point to them that even at my age today, I set small goals, I write them down, and then I try to accomplish them. And when I do, historically, I've been terrible at celebrating those accomplishments. And one thing that um, I've, I've got a gentleman that I work with uh, named Keith that um, always reminds me to try, when we have a win, to try and celebrate the win a little bit. And that doesn't mean, you know, go down to the strip and, you know, order, you know, you know, whiskey sours 800 at a time what that means is you know take a few minutes and reflect on how we how we were able to accomplish the success and what we did right and and remember that and internalize it so that the next you know the next goal that we make we try to do something similar and then move on and then move on yeah no i think that's i think that's good advice and i've talked about on an earlier show um that you and i 
because of the way we were raised, we, 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 we weren't taught to celebrate those wins. Right. It was there just was, business There was no celebration. Usual. There was point A, there was point B. And everywhere along that line from point A to point B was a stop on that journey. And we never took the time to celebrate those little wins along that journey. And I think, I think, I think the idea was correct. And, and some, you know, our father taught us was to enjoy the journey and I, I, or just, just to appreciate the journey. And I think enjoying the journey is part of that. And maybe we didn't, we didn't quite no, get I there agree. on that. I agree. Um, and I think, I, I think that, that makes us complicated individuals for a lot of people to understand. A lot of people want to understand us, and they have a hard time. Um, Gene Simmons, even though I don't agree with a lot of his views, um, he said one thing that, that, that always stuck with me. He said, listen, you should never take a vacation under the age of 40. And whether that is or isn't true, I love, I love the premise of that. You know, I, I don't well, think that's fully accurate because I, I, I know what you're talking about. I read, I read the same, th- I read the same book. His point was, don't take a vacation under forty um, if you're not at a point where you can. He basically said, "What have you done?" Right, right. And he it, that was a generalization. He's basically saying, before the age of forty, uh, 40 what can you have possibly done? Well, and I'll give you an example. Kim Kardashian, she can go take a vacation. I mean, she, she's, you know, people make fun of her, call her what you want. She's an amazing marketer. And, you know, she's made enough money and had enough success and she can kind of set her own schedule. I think Gene Simmons point was if you're beholden to something other than yourself and you're still young, maybe the time to reward yourself is later in life. Right. And and I think there's some truth to that. And I think everybody has their own level of what success looks like for them. And I think that at some point, if you're able to um, reach that level of success, whatever that looks like for you, I think you should take some time and celebrate that. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, and not be criticized. when you're at your first job making, you know, $12 an hour, you should be thinking about going to Bali. I don't, I don't call in that. sick. Use your, yeah, use I don't, your, I don't think that's, that's yeah. the way to go through life. I think that's, that's horrible. It is for the left. Um, so real quick, Beyonce is a great marketer too. Um, she's just not great at standing for the national anthem yesterday in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so you know it's interesting to to watch the NFL. So so I you know when when all of these players were kneeling and we had the Kaepernick phenomenon, I I told people that I worked with, I said you know we've got a, a collective bargaining agreement coming up for the NFL and the players union, and all these players are kneeling or the players that are kneeling, and it's a very small group of them, and what they're doing is by kneeling. It's a fact that that affected ratings. It affected ratings. It affected sponsors. And part of the salary that goes to the NFL players comes from those ratings and comes from those sponsors. And they get a a share of the pool of the money that goes to the TV contracts and some of these other things. And so by them, you know, making this stance, you know, basically the message that they sent to to the American people was that their personal feelings were more important to them than their paycheck, which is an interesting point of view because um there's a lot of things i feel very strongly about and there's a few things i would go to the mat for uh obviously me personally that's not one of them but that's a choice they they made and by doing that but you're not going to bite the hand that feeds well they did and and i've never seen a group of people and it's not very many of them there was only a few of them but i've never seen a group of people work so hard to cost themselves money I, i thought it was very uh silly and um and, I, and, and, you know, to me, if you're going to effectuate change, take your own paycheck, give it to these programs that you want to do, and get on TV and let everybody know what you're doing and give them the choice to follow that. I right. think that's good leadership. I think poor leadership was shown by the players that, that did this. Yeah. And then, of, of course, yesterday was a Super Bowl, and Jay-Z and Beyonce didn't stand up. Now, the interesting part about that is that Jay-Z just entered into a relationship with the NFL. Right. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what I don't even know what that means, but I know that uh, part of the reason for that was a effort by the NFL to meet the people that supported Kaepernick on their, you know, in the middle. Because Jay-Z point. has has influence among them. Jay-Z crowd, has right? inf- influence among among the people that were Kaepernick supporters. And so, you know, I think I, th- I think if I think in his heart of hearts, I think that no one has benefited from capitalism more than Jay Z. I right. think he's a great story. I think he's rags to riches, and I think um, I think sometimes ill advised. Pe- well, I think sometimes people make decisions to pander to their customer, and basically what is basically based on his actions yesterday, he's got plenty of money. 
He's got right. plenty he's of money. Got, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's I mean, got well, FU money. Yeah, he's got FU money. There's no other way to show that. Um, so, Texas, be proud of your prodigal daughter, um, Beyonce, and, and look at the example she's setting. So, we only got a few more minutes here. We kind of got off track a little bit. Um, finance is is what you you graduated in UNLV in finance, right? Yeah, I'm a uh, my my degrees in accounting and finance. Oh, accounting finance. I'm sorry, um, but that's what the people want to hear about. How can today? Um, you've got 700 employees at your construction company, or and and and, um, and so you're you're under, you're an owner operator. You you understand that side of things, but finance. How can people best invest their money today based on the things that you know, some of your knowledge? What can we leave with people? Yeah, to I, say? I, I think it's you got a little money in the bank. Here's yeah, what you I do with it. It's an exciting time that we live in for that, for the, for the person that is just getting. Okay, so a couple things. Um, it's, it's fact that, you know, compound interest is one of the most wonderful things that exists on the earth right, right now. Right. And the way compound interest works is if you have a if you have $100 and you invest it and you make $10 on it, you now have $110 to reinvest, right? And so if you reinvest that, now you get $11 off of it. So that is basically what compound interest is. And as young people, one of the best um, one of the best things a parent can do for their child is to um, either, you know, put some money into a college account for them or an investment account for them or teach them how to do that. Right. Because if they start young, um, you know, they time, have the advantage. Well, time is their friend. That money compounds longer than for somebody that starts in their forties or fifties. And don't use a bank to do that, by the way, it's a horrible. Idea. Well, and, and that's where I was going with this. There's, there's, there's amazing places to, to put money today versus when I was a kid. So, you know, you have places like Wealthfront, you have places like Fundrise, you have, you know, Vanguard, you know, mutual funds. There's plenty of places you can put and you can start with a little bit of money and put it into an account for as a child or as a teenager or as a young adult or for those people if you're older or for yourself and allow that money to start accruing interest and, and compounding. And if you start young, obviously when you retire, you're going to have, if you, if you are consistent with that, um, you, you will have money to, 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 to spend when you get into the twilight of your life. And, you know, uh, our father had us read a wonderful book. It was called the richest man in Babylon. And one of, and I read it a number of times when we were young. Rich dad, poor dad. And, and, and I like that one too, but I'm just talking richest man in Babylon right now. One of the gists of that book is to pay yourself first. And so one of the things that, um, our dad taught us was to take, or he taught me was to take 10% of everything I made and put it into account and forget that I had it. And, um, so today to this day, I take 10% of everything that I get in my paycheck. It goes into a, for me, a Charles Schwab account. I invest into stocks that I like or mutual funds that I like. And it's not a, it's not a big deal. And I'm not here to give financial advice, but it's just something in, in his, in, in, you know, historically for me, that's been super simple. And there's, a, you know, a hundred options like that for young people yeah. and for everyone out there that didn't exist, you know, for me 30 years ago. And so I would, I would say that, you know, one of the best things that you could do as a parent yeah. is to teach your kid how to balance their checkbook. Um, that's something that wasn't taught in schools. I understand that it is being taught in schools today, which is great. Teach them how to balance your checkbook. Teach them how to how to how to you know put a little money away and and be consistent. Put a couple bucks with that every week. If you do something consistently for a long period of time, it becomes such a deeply ingrained habit that you're not going to stop doing. No, that. I agree with that. And and I I beg to differ. You are here to give financial advice. I mean, <laughs> you're not you're not just storytelling Harry Potter. Uh, you know, it's funny because there there's so much. You know, and I know I don't want to drag this on too long, but th that's what this podcast is, is useful information. I'm 35, okay? I spend 15 minutes every morning when I first get to the office on typing because I, I want to learn, still at my age, I want to learn to type without looking at the keyboard. Now, this is something I should have done in 12th grade or 7th grade when I was 12 years old and I had a typing class. Instead, I was messing around, not doing my, what I was supposed to be doing, but, but again... The internet it's, it's has a, allowed. It's a, it's a perfect example. I learned how to type as a young man. I, I haven't looked. I haven't worried about my typing skills in twenty five years. Um, it's something that's just second nature to me. It's like riding a bike. I think anything you can do like that when you're a young person that you know is going to be a skill that you're going to use later in life. If you will take a little bit of time and learn that, you will never be sorry for doing that. See, something that stays with you forever. And you're right. And may, maybe our instructors knew that. 
I, I certainly didn't know the trend that computers or the involvement they were going to have in our life, right, with computer science and these things. But now I know the importance of it. And so, again, there's no sense crying over spilt milk. I don't really have any regrets. The only regret I have is not finishing my Eagle Scout. I don't know if you did. I, I didn't. I don't have too many regrets. There's but, but, nothing I can change. But so I don't look, I don't have a prism. No better time than now. Like that. Right? No better time than now. Right? You talked about investing. It is hard to go and learn about these things you're talking about. By the way, rule of 72. Talk about that. What is, what is the rule of 72? Rule of 72 means if you compound your interest anytime that you, if you set a, a percent of, int of interest and divide that into 72, that's the amount of years it'll take for your money to double. So if you had a 72% interest, your money will double in one year. If you divide it in half and you're 36% interest, your money will, will double in two years. If you're investing your money at 1%, it takes 72 years to double. And so that's just a simple little, you know, financial rule and tool that people can use when they're looking at, you know, investments. So, you know, if you've got a, you know, a CD at your bank that's paying you, you know, 4%, then you know that, you know, it's going to take 18 years right. for that to double. And, and so that's just, that's, that's the rule simple. of 72. Yeah. But again, the rule of 72 and, 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 uh, um, an eight cap in real estate and these things, it's going to be mind boggling to dive into that especially later on, but it's hard. But the thing is, is to stay, to stay proactive, right? Fight through it mentally and get, get through these things. And there's, there is gold at the end of that rainbow. Just to give you an idea, just a, a factual idea. If you were to invest, we talked about banks earlier. If you were to open a money market, which is basically a savings account for businesses or a savings account, okay, at 0.05% and you invested $10,000 and you put it in a savings account, it's going to take 1,440 years for that money to double to 20 grand. Terrible idea. Don't do that. Um, let, you know, we're, we're going to get to the T-bone topic here in a minute. And that kind of winds things down. But real, well, I, real I, quick, I, I just want to. I want a one-word answer here, and I know you're good at that because. And one thing about <laughs> I hate one-word answers. Yeah, no, but Weston gives them out like like candy. Um, so if you're ever looking for advice, you know, tape this podcast, download it, go back and listen to it. Because if you're to ask this guy for any advice, he's horrible. His way of giving advice is to not give any advice, but that's actually a good thing. It's, it's very, it doesn't see, it seems counterproductive, but it works, right? Um, because it, it forces you to either sink or swim. You either are going to take that and say, use that as an excuse. If I was asked Weston, hey, that's, that's, that's not what it's about. I, I'm expecting you to invest for me. If I ask you, how do I invest? That's, you just gave me some that, great but information, that, but, 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 but it's for me to now go and use. Well, and that's the, that's how Or I can here, here's use the, the other excuse that here's you the, didn't do it for me. Here's the other piece of that. Any, you know, per Malcolm Gladwell, anything we do for 10,000 hours, we, we become an expert. Outliers. In. And so, you know, that becomes a core competency. So my core competencies for me personally are playing the guitar, roping, uh, riding horses, uh, obviously finance, uh, construction. Those are, those are core competencies of mine. Those are things that I've done for 10,000 hours, okay? Right. Um, that being said... Every single time you take one of those things and you put it into a business that's yours, that you you personally are running, or you're in a team that you're leading or are part of or whatever, it changes a little bit because now you've taken a, a subjective personal slant to that. And so when you and I were to talk about the... Uh, you know, sunglasses business, I can give you, you know, experience on finance and some of those types of things, but I couldn't dare to pretend to understand your business as well as you do. And it's the same for anybody, you know, out there. I don't understand. Um, Advice is free. It's worth every penny. Take it where you can get it, but don't, don't. And, and there's different levels to it. You know, I, I consider myself a, an expert at roping, but I, I'm not nearly as good as, as you and Randon. Right. So I'm better than 98% of the people that are out there on this earth. You know, there's, you know, so how many people that never even picked up a rope, but I'm out, I'm outclassed if yeah. I were to rope against you and Rand. And so I think there's different levels. And then I think uh, there's, there's subsets to that. So, you know, in sunglasses, there's subsets of plastic and, and, and metal frames, just like in roping, there's a subset of calf roping and team right. roping. And then in team roping, there's a subset of heading and then there's a subset of healing. And then in healing, there's a subset of, you know, hard and fast tied on and a subset of dallying. So, you know, in everything you go, there's levels. And so, you know, it, someone that, that pretends to give you advice at a very, very specific level about your business is 
potentially giving you, uh, you know, bad advice because no one knows it as well as you do, you know? Right. So when you're looking for, you know, uh, you got to trust that, yourself, you got to trust bit. yourself yeah. and you've got to take risk and you've got to know enough about your business where no one can Buffalo. you. I, I had a friend call me the other day and he said, Hey, I'm going into this show and he owns a business. I'm going into the show. I've got everything set down. I've got my strategy. It's all good. And then the show, they, 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 they allocate you a, show manager or whatever or category manager. And this guy was thrown out advice. Hey, this is what I would do based on this, whatever. And, and my friend called and he says, Hey man, now I don't know what to do. I was so sure of my strategy. Now this guy, why the heck did he do that? And I said, listen, man, you got to trust yourself. That guy doesn't run your business. He's sitting in an office. He sees all these categories. He wants to sell, sell trade show space. So again, tell him, Hey man, thanks a million, but this is what we decided to do. Appreciate it. Don't feel, don't feel obligated to pick up on something, you got to trust yourself, yeah, right? I think you gave him good counsel because, but you got to trust yourself. But once you and, and think it out in your mind, but once you make that decision, you can't go to that show and say, "Oh, I wish I would, I should have did." That. No, you make that decision and then you stick with it. So, as a business business owner, one of the things that I found that that has done very well for me in the past is something as simple as making a decision and living with it. Right. You make a decision. You you're, you're at a crossroads. You don't know. You know. I, I want to go buy ad space in, you know, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Um, I sh part of me says I should do it. Part of me says I should don't do it. All right. Well, I go and do it. At that point, it, th that that's done. So now I need to accept the fact that I've done it. And if there's an ability to help that, I need to do that. Don't, what I need don't to not again, do right? is go second guess myself eight thousand times after the fact. I already spent the money. The die is cast. You know, why Why continue to beat myself up over a decision that I made? Right. One of the things we as business owners and as professionals in life and as ropers and whatever it is that you do, football player, you got to have a short memory, especially when you make a mistake. Right. You can't beat yourself up forever. You know, I was watching the Super Bowl yesterday. You know, that's twice now Kyle Shanahan's lost in the fourth quarter at a Super Bowl. Um, he's got two choices at this point, and I'm a big 49ers fan and my family knows that but he's he can either beat himself up over this for the rest of his life or he can turn the page and say you know what i know what i did wrong i'm not going to do it again next time we're going to do things a little and, bit and that's the key it's the second time definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results at this point he's either got to change it but he can't do it again no matter what he does it can't be the and same the game plan. It, it's never and it's never going to be right i mean th this was a certain set of things that happen, experiences that happen over, you know, what was it, 60 minutes yesterday that's never going to happen again. That they, same they, set they, of circumstances is never going to happen They outplayed again. him. Four quarters. I mean, they outplayed him. Garoppolo was amazing, right? He, 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 they were running the ball really well. It opened up some passing lanes. I mean, it was they, they outplayed those guys. I, I'm not a football coach. I don't want to get into all that, but I will tell you that, that Shanahan historically has done a very good job of forgetting when he when things go wrong and as a 49ers fan i hope he does it again this time yeah there you go all right so um last thing i just want one word to answer here we got off track real estate or stock market if you had to put your money somewhere today they're both well, two words understood <laughs> you said one word to answer well no um, yeah yeah i guess you're right you're right you know you got me okay so, so uh real estate or stock market i would say if you have no nope. okay if a little bit of money stock market and if you're, you, you have money to lose real estate <laughs> There you go. and stock market. Okay. So we're, we're, we're at that point. We're at the T-bone topic. This is where we talk about all the juiciest stuff. Okay. You, the viewer or the listener, you're the one that picks these topics. And then we, we choose one. So this one's from Kazmir's ACE's response. This is from Kazmir's ACE. ACE's response. Yeah. That's their response. Anyways. How, and, and by the way, Kuzmiris, you're going to be receiving the recipient of two T-bone steaks from OmahaSteaks.com. Thanks for sending this in. We hope you enjoy those. Um, the question is, and eat a medium rare. I mean, anything more than that, you're you're pounding the meat. I mean, you're not American. Well, you're American, but but meat was made to cook medium rare. But are you a true American? Yeah, everybody has their own tastes. That's oh, that's see, a, see, that's a wonderful that's you, that's you, what makes America's a melting pot. That's what makes I, us American. I agree with that, but I just like. You know, yeah, you like you that. Play, you like to play both sides of the fence. No, I don't. I know what at, I, I like. Medium rare. At some point, J my you wife doesn't. To Jay, pick a I side, like medium man. rare. My wife likes medium. 
right? That if yeah. if I'm going to hold her accountable for not liking it medium rare, my wife likes medium too, and, and 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 she does so many things that I do like. Like this, this is one thing I can I can live with. If it's a thick steak, medium is medium rare, really, hundred percent, depending on where you go. Yeah. So, um, uh, how how's Trump going to win the two, two? I mean, this is their question. How yeah. is Trump going to win the 2020 election? Now, you and I aren't political advisors, and we're certainly not like the chief of staff. Or the so, so campaign the, manager. There's one thing that Trump's not doing that, that bothers me a little bit. I think that um, I think that one of the biggest problems we have um, in the U.S. right now politically is the fact that you know there's all these different media outlets. Some lean to the right, some lean to the left. And when I was a kid, if Johnny went to the store to get a Coke, the the, the headline road, Johnny went to the store to get a Coke. Today it might read. Johnny went to that crappy store down the street to get Coke. Why would anybody get that? You know, so today we have these media personalities that are putting their own slant on everything instead of just reporting the news. You know, Walter Cron Cronkite reported the news. That's what he did. Right. And, you know, you know, the, 40, the 49ers so. won the Super Bowl. Right. That, that or I mean, the 49ers lost the Super Bowl. That would be the headliner. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. You know, now. Now, today now it's, is it, well, is it because shot Kyle Han Shanahan stayed at this hotel yeah, that they lost? Exactly. The guys it's went out. It's yeah, propaganda. 100 percent. So propaganda. what 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 isn't affected by that? is in and i'll tell you who did a great job with this when he was president of the united states was franklin delano roosevelt and he had what was known as the fireside chats and during the fireside chats he would talk directly to the american people i think trump's losing opportunity by not doing that and this is what i mean there's a lot of misinformation and uneducated people in the u.s when it comes to his policies and the reason why he's doing things and so every opportunity he has to get on the tv and explain in Suleimani, he bombed Suleimani, so this is a good example. Salami. If I was, if, if it were me, if I was on his team, I would ask the president to, to, to get on because people are going to cover him personally when he gets on TV. Right. I would ask either him or someone from his team to get on TV or to get on the radio and say, this is who Suleimani was. This is why this had to happen. These are all the things that he's done. These are all the people that he's killed. These are all the Americans that he's injured. Just the these facts. Are, these are all just the facts. These are all the things that he's done. This is why this man had to die, right? And we had intel that he was going to bomb the U.S. Embassy. That we couldn't give the Democrats because they'd leaked it. No, that we couldn't give the American people because we didn't want to put any lives in, in danger. Right. Of the people that more, were there. More than already would be. That, that, that were there at the embassy. And every topic, he has an opportunity to educate and engage the people by going person to person. And if he did that, you know, we have historically great numbers of unemployment in the U.S. Not only for, you know, um, uh, one subset of people, but African Americans, Hispanic Americans, uh, Caucasian Americans. The, uh, unemployment numbers are better than they've ever been. If, if, Trump got on TV and he said, hey, African-American unemployment numbers are better than they've ever been. And this is why. This is the things that we've done in this, you know, in the last three years since I've been president of the U.S. These are the things that my administration has done to lead us to this place. And, Strategic, these, are, and these are the things that we're going to continue to do. And these are the things that are going to that we're going to do in my second, you know, in my second four years. He's got an opportunity to meet the, the American people at their level which no one else has that opportunity because no one else is president right. of the United States. And if he did that, I think you would be able to reach some of these people that are independents or some of these people that don't agree with him. Because I hear the same argument about Donald Trump over and over pl again. Pl that plus he's people don't like him, but they do like his policies. They, yeah, they don't like his bedside manner. They don't like him. They think he's like immoral. They think he's done all these things. And so the, the question I always ask myself is... I, I, what, I, I would argue with that, and I think you would too, that what he, based on his actions, what he's doing because of his policies is the most moral thing he could be doing for the American people. Well, he, he, I, it's a simple question that I ask myself. is Would I rather have Donald Trump in the presidency with Bernie Sanders' policies or Bernie Sanders in the presidency with Donald Trump's policies? Well, I'd rather have Bernie Sanders in the presidency with Trump's policies. I love Trump's policies. The fact that it's Trump... And that's all that matters. The fact that it's Trump is the individual that's, that's making him is where people always get caught up, and so they don't like his morality. His, and, and, his and, and bedside my manner question, doesn't affect people, but the policies do. Well, the and American my question people. for so, that is, who, who, if, if, if he doesn't get to be the moral you know, 
judge if he doesn't get to be the police who does get to be does right he, does he get to be the clintons He's the commander does he get to be right. democrats does he get to be republicans you know none of none of us are perfect none of us live in a glass house i don't get to sit here and say that i'm a perfect guy and gets to tell everybody what to do and neither does anyone else and so the idea that that trump is immoral there's there's some there's there's some things that he's done in the past that you could absolutely classify as immoral and i think that would be the same for every single person that sets foot on the earth right. there's probably a couple perfect people that never do anything wrong but for the most part all of us make mistakes from time to time right and his mistakes at some times can be egregious more importantly his mistakes are in the public eye and so everybody gets to see it correct right no no it's, that's a good strategy so what you're saying is if you were his campaign manager you'd say hey, listen here's what we got to do and um and i'd it, be it's, all about it, educating america it, it, and it's it's equivalent to chewing up the clock in football right because now he's dominating the airwaves as well with useful information and like you said he's meeting the americans down on their level and he's saying hey guys here's what's happening and here's why and it's straight from the horse's mouth that's the one thing about twitter maybe you might not like the message on twitter but the one thing that you can't argue with is he's got a direct line to the american people and twitter hates that well, I don't know that Twitter hates it. I think it's good for Twitter's bottom line. I think I think people that don't agree with Trump hate that. Yeah, but Twitter, as as a company, for the most part, doesn't agree with that. But at the same time, that's why we live in America. Like you said, that's capitalism. That's 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 free enterprise. That's that's democracy. Well, I think social media so is great. dangerous because anytime you start shutting down a voice, whether it's on the right or the left, you're on a slippery slope. Once you start shutting down voices. Now we become closer to right. what it is that we but, despise, but, which is Russian and Chinese policies. But it happens all the time. Speaking of which, uh, I, and I've told you this, I don't like social media. I don't. We don't have TikTok. Maybe we do, but we didn't set it up, or we're certainly not proactive on it. I don't like TikTok because it's owned by the Chinese. And here's the thing: Facebook get, gains all your data, but 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 why force feed it? Just at least Google's not allowed in China. Now that might change one day, but as of right now, it doesn't. So at least they're taking your data, and they're it, it's it's maybe a it, it's a nation national problem. But as soon as you start to give your stuff to TikTok, now you've crossed the, those the, those the, those the, foreign the, lines. The issue with this, the issue with this, but but it happens all the time. I'm going to oversimplify this, but I know a little bit about this industry because I was in it quite a bit in the blockchain industry. But the the biggest issue is Congress today, as it sits, doesn't understand uh, social media. And they don't understand, and they're getting better. And I don't, I don't want to paint this with a, a blanket brush, but they don't understand social media, and they don't understand what goes behind the algorithms that, that do it. And as they are able to hire people that do understand, and they are able to bring people in to help them uh, wrap their arms around a little bit better, at some point we'll be able to craft laws that protect people. Because right now it's kind of wild west. Right now, right, you know, um, Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram can shadow ban anybody for any reason. Any well, and that's the thing; it happens all the time. And they can't do that. To and Trump. at that, some that's point, at some point. They're not going to be able to do that. At some point, there's going to be some bylaws that, on a federal level, that we as Americans, we can either shut down people's free speech or we can't. But it's going to be there's going to be a rule book. Now, when we get that, people will figure out how to game the rule book. But at least we'll have something like that, and we'll have uh, you know some set of guidelines. We're just not we're not there yet because because Congress doesn't understand right. it well enough. No, makes sense. But we're we're getting there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a million. You know, we'd like to thank you guys for listening. Wes, thanks for coming out. This is, this has been a, you know, it's been a little bit longer than what we typically do. But the one thing about this podcast is, is we talk about the meat and potatoes uh, and get down to useful information. Now we might share opinions, um, but most of the time we try and root those in facts. But what we want people to gain from this is when they walk away, they learn something that they didn't know previous. I think that's, that's important. That's a good, useful, um, use of our time and also the listeners time so we want to thank you guys for watching again this is my least favorite time of the, the the podcast where i tell you hey my name is jason adams i'm the president of a company called beck sunglasses you know we're the unapologetic um meat eaters in the sunglass world uh if you'd like to know more about that visit becksunglasses.com that's not why we're doing this i feel it uh we have a little bit of a platform here and i want to get this i want to get our information west the, the, well to, i want to talk to about that just for a second to help I'm, influence I'm, I'm holding my becks in my hand right now and the thing that i appreciate about my sunglasses are the a couple things and this is my this is my riff on micro who i think micro is an amazing guy and i've heard him try to sell a pencil before and I think it's he's an amazing salesman. But when I look at my back sunglasses, I look at these lenses, and they're NIPO constructed, which means they're they're made to last. Uh, they're polarized. Uh, 
I look at the nose pieces, they're, they've got imprints on there that make it comfortable for your nose because that's a tender you know, piece of skin that we have in our body. Um, I look at the, the, the cutout, the etching of the, the Bex brand in the, in the side of the, the, the hinges. And I just think, look, this is a quality made product. And it's at a price point that is a third of, you know, Chrome Hearts or Oakley or anything like that. And it's a company that is designed in America by Americans that wants to sell to the American people. That's our, you know, we, we sell a lot of, you guys sell a lot of glasses to the Western industry. And it's a little bit of a niche within the niche. But the niche is the American people. And so right. I just, you know, I, you know, and I'm biased, Jay, because I've seen you kind of build a company over the years. But I see the, the standard of care that you put into designing the product. And, you know, especially when the, the, the brand was young, when your business was young, um, you kind of put everything secondary to the, to the quality of the product. And I think anyone that buys a pair of Becks know that there is thousands of hours and blood, sweat, and tears that went into making this product. And I think the world needs more of that. I think right. small businesses, I think the future of small business in America is a quality product. Right. So that's Well, I, you know, that's great, man, and I appreciate that. And, and what you said product quality has always been important, but nobody's perfect. They're certainly not indestructible. We try and make them as, as durable as possible, but for whatever reason, something does happen. You know what? We make it a point to, to, to highlight the fact that we're not perfect and customer service is a, a huge uh, focus for, for us. Um, if something happens, you know, I always say, thank you for giving us the opportunity to make it right. Because in this world, that's all we want is a chance, right? Just a chance. Um, what you do with that chance is going to define what you are. Um, your action speaks aloud, so can't hear your words. Anyways, so, uh, but if you do have Beck sunglasses or you'd like to get Beck sunglasses or you'd like to try our cap to get that relationship with our brand, uh, we have a code, uh, use code web15 for 15% off your entire order at becksunglasses.com. And these launch on Friday at 1 p.m. They're on our YouTube Shades channel. Uh, they are on Spotify. You can download them from the Apple podcast store and then certainly on our rss feed which is a link in the bio on our instagram um wes thanks thanks man Th thanks thank thanks you for buddy we'll do it again time yeah next time we'll bring you something else that's fun um you know what we love you guys we appreciate you S send us some feedback what do you like what do you not like is there another topic you'd like to learn about if so um we'll we'll discuss it if we feel like we're capable and if not we'll get somebody in here who can so uh have a have a great weekend and uh we'll talk to you next time thanks thanks